2006, Amy Sutherland wrote an essay for the New York Times that took on a life of its own. A small, goofy essay spawned a full-length book, then an Amazon series, then a series of copycat movies. Her essay was about using circus techniques to train animals. Except, instead of animals, she trained her husband. The essay is called, What Shamu Taught Me About a Happy Marriage. In the essay, Amy Sutherland writes, quote, The central lesson I learned from exotic trainers is that I should reward behavior I like and ignore behavior I don't. After all, you don't get a sea lion to bounce a ball on the end of its nose by nagging. The same goes for the American husband. I began thanking Scott if he threw one dirty shirt in the hamper. If he threw in two, I'd kiss him. Meanwhile, I would step over any soiled clothes on the floor without one sharp word, though I did sometimes kick them under the bed. But as he basked in my appreciation, the piles became smaller. In the show The Big Bang, Sheldon starts training his friend Penny by throwing candy treats in her mouth for good behavior. Jeff Foxworthy has a bit where he jokes that his wife trained him to get up and change the thermostat just by mentioning the chill. Last year, Hallmark put out a movie, How to Train Your Puppy, except the word puppy had been crossed out in the promotional pictures and husband had been scrawled into it. Training each other, fixing our partners, has become a downright obsession in society. So today we ask, how about it? Can we actually fix each other? Could I fix my introvert podcasting partner? You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet and get to the facts. Trying to fix our partners is kind of our jam as human beings. You don't need to have a disorder either to want to fix a partner. Young women try to nurture bad boys into being supportive partners before they grow out of bad boy as a face. And men often go through a phase of dating where they seek birds with broken wings. Of course, clinically codependent relationships usually have some element of one partner trying to fix the other. And narcissistic partners like to be rescued. In fact, that can be what makes a narcissist so attractive. They look like the perfect DIY project. Whether our partner just has a few cracks and needs some glue, or we find ourselves married to a rattling box of Ikea parts without instructions, we want to know, can we fix someone? And to help us explore the subject, we have three myths to bust. Myths like, myth one, is it moral to fix someone? If they really, really need fixing, what if they're literally asking to be fixed? Myth two, is there even such thing as fixing someone? Does anyone really change in a relationship? Or do we just get used to each other's weirdness and call it change? Myth three, what about the new husband who quits drinking or the wife who stops flirting? What makes people finally change? We're going to get to our myths, but first I want to talk to Joe about what brought this subject to our attention. So, 
on rare occasion, we will bring up uh, episode subjects to each other. Some of them sit in our list based on recommendations, and we will have them uh, on deck to be recorded for months. This one came through, and you included a note that said, best episode ever. <laughs> Let's do this. We need to talk about fixing people. What made you What made you so excited for this, and, and what made you think of it? Um, I've been getting flooded lately um, by my inner circle and in my own head, in my own relationship, about fixing myself and the wife trying to fix me and, and me working on things to fix her. And, and then I've been hearing this a lot from my friends, people who have been with people for years, either married or just in, you know, long-term relationships, not complaining, but wanting changes in their spouses. Right. I, so I'm, I kind of want to know about your philosophy about change first. I'll, I'll tell you mine in one word. I am a bit of a stoic and a pessimist. I don't think people change. I, I think people adapt to each other's um, strangeness and idiosyncrasies. But I've, before going into this research, I thought there's no changing somebody. So you clearly have a different philosophy. Well, I've thought that too. I've thought that certain, I think it differs. I don't think everyone's the same. I think it takes extreme change extreme circumstances for anyone to change at all. And I think certain people pick out certain people to put up with their bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> they pick a partner, handpick a partner, so they can be their worst self. Okay. Whether it's addiction or whether it's anger or control or however it rears its ugly head. So we not we may not be in, um, picking out an enabler, but we are possibly picking out somebody who is going to bring it out in us or, or enable us in a certain way. God, I wish you did your science facts in just one word. It'd be so much more <laughs> interesting for me. <laughs> Those go on and on. Yeah. So who who have you tried to, to fix? Or who's tried to fix you? My ex-wife tried to fix me. It was a 10-year project. She did not succeed. Um... This is where it gets kind of tricky for me. We got into marriage. It was pretty. Un it was a pretty unhealthy emotional marriage. There was a lot of um, just a lot of unhealthy habits. And one of them was when we first got married. She almost on a monthly basis would say that she wanted to get divorced, and that she was going to file for divorce, and it wasn't going to work out. I mean, it was, a, it was almost a weekly thing, to the point that once a month she would go to the attorney to do the filing to do whatever to file for divorce. She went there so many times. It was a family attorney of her that she'd had for her whole adult life. He said, if you come in here one more time, I'm going to file a divorce myself. <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like she was holding a gun to the relationship. Like she was using your marriage as, as leverage to try to get you to change. Well, and I, I don't want to play the victim here because I was not. Yeah. And the things she wanted to change were very needed to be changed. These were obvious flaws. These were things if I worked on, my life would get better and healthier. One thing she did was she was doing constant comparison to other men my age and their accomplishments or whatever it was. And that was kind of damaging to me, to my, you know, my self-esteem, among other things. Okay. Well, we... Just in your own opinion, what is it healthy to try to hold up uh, as a comparison 
because I don't think accomplishments are healthy to compare. I mean, that's that's the stuff of depression is trying to compare yourself to other people's accomplishments. But is is there something you can fix in somebody that would be healthy to ask for? I think the big one is the drinking, the smoking, the diet, the um, anger. Okay. I think especially with young men and maybe young women. I have, I think young women too can have fits of angerish rage from time to time. So behaviors. Okay. But I don't want to spoil too much, but in a nutshell, you've basically... Um, <laughs> I accidentally recapped all the moral points we're going to be making. You accidentally recapped all of our science points. So um, do you want to get into it? Please. Okay. Are we going to talk about someone trying to change you, though? Are you going to share? I will, I will share a little bit. Um, I will say that I am in a relationship currently, and very, very quickly we have found that um, I... I've always had anxiety issues. I am a writer and I used to drink and I am a very nervous kind of person. Like I need to know everything and I need to know if anyone wants to know why all of our episodes have statistics in them about social behavior. It's because I have to know what is normal. So I constantly am looking up, you know, is this statistically normal? Even very simple behaviors we had an episode about long distance relationships because I needed to know statistically do these work out. And I, I will look up everything from like how many times do you text somebody? How many times do you, you know, talk to somebody in a day? Um, so my, my changing behavior is more of um, almost like asking, hey, do you need something changed over and over and over again until the other person wants you to just shut up and be yourself. So, um, almost, and the funny thing is, I know this before I ever see a psychologist, um, the things I offer to change aren't going to be the core problems. Like (laughs) I can offer to change everything, but in the end, I probably am not doing a good job identifying what actually needs to be changed. And as our studies bear out, it may take a divorce before I recognize them quickly enough. Hopefully that won't be the case. I really do believe in positive change and seeing professionals and talking to people. Um, but as we found out in previous episodes, we, we did an episode about, oh heck, we have covered first impressions and we have talked about knowing oneself and we have discovered that strangers and your social support network will know more about you and your flaws than you real, really ever know. And that, that kind of brings me to, I guess, the first question I want to ask you personally. I'm holding things up saying, do you want this changed and pointing to it over and over, which I'm really just pointing to myself. The first question is, is it moral to change somebody? It doesn't seem like it is. It almost seems like you're taking, to me, it seems like I have enough things to work on on my own side of the street. Yeah. I should not be over pointing out the obvious things, picking up garbage, mowing the lawn at Joe's house when I have plenty of projects here in my house. Almost never will I quote the Bible in this, except I've seen this quote show up in sci-fi. It's um, something about not removing the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and not looking to the plank in your own. 
Thanks for premising in that, you heathen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would never be caught dead reading the Bible. <laughs> right. Um, I come from an Irish Catholic family, so I'm allowed to, to say those things. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think it's hard to morally justify like telling yourself you're trying to change somebody when you have so much to work on yourself. So what about... Um, well, I think too, Joe, aren't we all so self, you know, low self-esteem, insecure, self-aware of our own flaws, the majority of us. If it bothers someone else, it probably bothers us 20 times as much. Oh, totally. I think that's why people are so defensive when somebody wants to fix them is because it's like somebody's like hey i noticed you got this problem and it's like i know like it's 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 <laughs> like bothering you noticed. just as bad um so I, I guess the first question or the first hurdle we have to get past is um when is it moral to fix somebody or try i'm going to say just out on a limb otherwise our episode is going to be all of 10 minutes if we just end with no it's not moral i'm going to say if you get into a relationship or a marriage and you both agree to work on something would you say that is moral yes and i think it's okay to be just crazy in love with somebody but there's this one fault flaw they have that doesn't line up maybe it's not a problem for their family or their way but it doesn't line up with your values and and we know that having the wrong values in a marriage or relationship is is terminal yeah it's terminal or um they need to change to become uh, not just a better person but a functional person that's another one where like if you're in a committed relationship and you've agreed to help each other or, or to grow together that that's the idea i think is growth not change um there's this great tweet i want to read to you it's it's it came out after the movie Joker with Joaquin Phoenix came out, and this is by um, a Twitter account, Tammy the Bush Pilot, and uh, she's in the tweet. It says, "Watching the Joker movie," and she says under her breath, "I could fix him." <laughs> um, so the instinct to fix people, especially when I mean, if they are a murderous psychopath clown. And society would be literally better if you fix them. Like it will, it will save everyone heartache if you fix them. Is it moral then? Yeah, to me, that's like rehabilitating a prisoner. It needs to be done. Yeah. One is two people agree to grow. The other is a person literally needs to change. And you happen to be the one standing there holding the relationship leash at that moment. Um... So what needs to happen to morally change somebody? Like, like what is step one? Um, is it consent? Is it declaring it? Like when you get into a relationship, do you pull up to a leather jacket wearing thug at the bar and start with, hey, I want to change you? <laughs> like how soon do you have to declare that? I know how women do it to me. They sit me down and in a very serious voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't do, particularly enjoy those conversations. I've been on the wrong end of more than one of those. Okay. How soon is it? Like, like, 
the the I'm gonna go with the cliche Hollywood joke. I know in script writing, um, the joke is, uh, you know, a guy sits down after he has been in a relationship. It's like The Simpsons. It's Nelson Muntz, where he starts dating Lisa, and suddenly he's dressing like in corduroy and like sweaters, <laughs> and he's this bad boy. So like, how soon do you tell somebody I'm gonna change you? Is it? It's it's at ten to twelve months. It's after the ethers worn off and the, okay. the sunglasses of they can do no wrong. I met the greatest <laughs> person. It isn't right away. You you try to stealth it in. You 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 make them yearn for the relationship, and then you you say, "But the change is what needs to happen for you to stay here." Okay. Well, we kind of want to talk a little bit about the um, the morality and whether or not right off the bat. Can you fix somebody? Um, now, I went to, gosh, there aren't a lot of great, like, statistical data sets about changing people. We, we got as many as we could into this episode, and there's some really interesting ones. The first one I want to go with is, um, let's ask the oldest people that we could find who have been in relationships forever. Um, so I found a really great Psychology Today article and it's what can you change about your partner? And what they did in this article is they interviewed um, 70 to 90 year olds, sometimes older than that. And um, Carl uh, Pillimer interviewed these people and asked, can you change people? Can you change your partner? It is such an interesting interview. Please follow our links. Um, but I'm going to ask you, Todd, all these old people who have been in relationships forever what do you think they kind of what what do you think their consensus is can you change a partner <laughs> i don't know crotchety angry old people say no i'm Bitter. kidding they're lovely they hate everything negative <laughs> yeah i see that they're they're tired of fighting they um, just broke down they just surrendered <laughs> yeah you can't change people you just wear them down like sandpaper um, well, this is from Sheila, who is 94, uh, and she sums it up very well. She says, Sheila says, quote, they say that people marry and think, well, I can get him or her to change. Sheila says, I think that's just stupid. Why would you marry them and want them to change? Um, there's a quote here from Marguerite, 74. We all try to change the guys we're with once we get him. Like, oh, this bothers me, and that bothers me. But I know once we're together, I'll change it. That that quote made me think of what we're talking about, where, like, you said 12 months or so, people are like, what can I change? Um, Marguerite goes on to say, but you can't change somebody. If something bothers you a little bit when you're dating, 20 years later... You're going to hate that thing about them. Well, that's, I, I know humans, human nature, and I've noticed that a lot of people think getting married will fix things, or once we have a kid, we'll fix things. Yeah. They really believe that with all their hearts. Oh, they'll settle down, or they'll stop this, or they'll, they'll love me more once we're actually married, and it couldn't be further from the truth. That logic is almost like saying, once we're both too busy to do anything or think of anything, that'll change things. It's like, no, no, no. Getting more busy, getting more wrapped up in children, marriage, that's not going to change things. That's going to make you, you'll have less bandwidth. Yeah, more stresses, right? Yeah. 
let's add kids and money problems. That, that'll make our, that'll make us change. <laughs> right. Um, one of these people in the interviews actually pointed out the word idiosyncrasies. And idiosyncrasy is, you know, little behaviors that are cemented into your, your behavior set. So, like, whether or not you're a clean person, whether or not you are, you know, you, you use loving phrases. Like, idiosyncrasies are just these little tiny groupings of behavior that accompany the major things you decide to do. Uh, and they basically, just through these interviews, they say that idiosyncrasies will kill you both. Um, you know, it's not the big stuff like wanting to have kids or how you both deal with money. Those themselves can be deal breakers, but the idiosyncrasies are the hard ones to change. Like the, like the sleeping with the window open or the snoring or the chewing your food with your mouth. (laughs) The micro stresses that make you want to fucking kill their spouse. (laughs) Right. Um, in our opening, um, the woman who wrote about, you know, what Shamu taught me about a marriage, uh, she is changing a grouping of behaviors. It's she married a messy person in general. They don't pick up anything. And she is slowly attacking the tiny individual behaviors that come with that, like, you know, underwear on the floor. So it's like, yeah, you, you're, it's so hard to change a grouping of behavior, an idiosyncrasy. It's much easier to say, I'd like you to stop drinking. Like, at least that you can pinpoint something. Um. I'm going to read a couple of points from uh, Very Well Mind. Uh, there's an article about how much should you try to change your partner. Um, and they, they just have a list of things that probably won't change. We're talking about idiosyncrasies. That makes the top of the list. Other things that probably will never change. Um, a partner who doesn't make you a priority. Now, this is an interesting one because it's the top of their list. And I think it's one of the ones that... You, In the first place, it's the building block. It's the cornerstone of change. If you start out not being a priority for them, you can kiss the idea of changing them goodbye because they literally have to prioritize you over their own behaviors to change. Long shot. Yeah, long shot. Um, they say a partner who doesn't make you a priority in the beginning isn't likely to change later on. If you come in second to your partner's work, their friendship, their family, their hobbies. It's important to recognize that's not going to be altered. They say abusive behavior. Um, we see this all the time in relationships. You talk about codependence and narcissists. If your partner is physically abusive or emotionally abusive, it is critical that you recognize that and realize it's not your fault. And this is going to continue. There are personality differences that probably won't change. Um, Todd, do you think in your relationships, do opposites attract? I've been attracted to people who have, have, yes, I've been attracted when I'm kind of a a little bit crazy and wild. I've been attracted to people who are mature and settled down. Kind of like if we could just fit together, we're going to be a perfect match. Right. I think it's true that opposites do attract but not necessarily that they stick together, that there can be too many edges that don't line up, if that makes sense. It's a value thing, right? Right. Um, this one, okay, so the, the last one on my list here, things that probably won't change, coping strategies. 
Now, this is one I've been reading about recently. Um, I've been going back to the Gottman uh, Institute, which is our, you know, golden rule, uh, you know, micro-expression scientist. He has his own relationship website. He talks about coping strategies, and he talks about how um, if you, you know, uh, good relationships are built on not necessarily people who are the best emotionally together, but people who are the best at repairing. They, they have an interest in repairing. They talk a lot about repairing the relationship. They're willing to do it in the same day they have an argument. Um, in this article, they say people who have different coping strategies from one another, they are very unlikely to change. Happy relationships rely on personality compatibility. Irritating habits, interests, and behaviors from your partner will eventually cause friction. And if you ignore those, if you're not into making repairs, if you as a partner do not carry around a hammer and a tool belt all the time, this is not going to work. You you will not be able to change that. And I want to apologize to every woman that listens to our podcast. And most of our, most of our audience is women. The majority are. Men are so dumb. We don't see these obvious signs. You mm-hmm. have to tell us. <laughs> Now, if we sound smart talking about this, I want to disabuse that. <laughs> Todd and I, like I'm, I'm saying, my, my voice is saying, you know, you, you have to be ready to not fix somebody. And then I will go around and try to fix everybody. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm the worst at this. I've warned him about that. He's a fixer. I, said, oh. I, I, will, I won't just fix people. I'll tell them statistically why they should be fixed, fixed or fixable. You'll be like, yeah, I read books about this. Statistically, you you should be able to be fixed. So I want to, now that we've kind of cleared up the idea that fixing somebody might not be possible, um, I want to get into all the garbage we found online. There are dumpster fires full of uh, bad advice um, about, you know, training people. Okay. We found a book, How to Train Your Husband to Do Whatever You Want. Todd, what is your opinion on this? And do you think this is a popular opinion? Do you think people actually believe in this crap? Well, when I read that, when I read it and started reading, I was horrified. And I thought this is just soaking, dripping in manipulation. Don't you think? I think a lot of this is. A, a lot of the territory today is there are some people who are doing it in good fun. There are some people who are doing it in genuine interest, thinking, how do I become a better spouse? But there's so much manipulation, especially if you try to change somebody without their knowledge, right? Well, this this woman, Amy Sutherland, she's a journalist. And when I started listening to her, I started watching her YouTube videos and stuff. She started to compare her husband training to exotic animal training on water buffaloes and baboons. <laughs> and then she's she she bridged right to her, her American husband. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Did you just say a baboon? <laughs> and right. Husband? But as you start listening to her, she starts to make a lot of sense. I'm a pragmatist. I'm a pragmatist at heart. So if this works, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to be trained like a baboon or a water buffalo if it can make me a better person. Okay. Um. I- how does one train a Todd like a baboon if we're going down that road? She gave some examples and she tells stories, which you and I love. We're storytellers ourselves. She talked about the very first thing is ignoring the behavior. 
and this sounds kind of obvious, this sounds kind of you know elementary school, but I always feel like when my friends or my spouse does something, I have to kind of shoot it down like a video game. I have to say, stop that. Right. As opposed to just letting it go. And I don't know why I feel that way. I can't just let it go. I have to have an opinion on everything. Do you ever feel that way? I do. And I do the same thing. I will try to call out bad behavior when I see it. Now that we're talking about it, do you remember the episode we did about um, getting other people's approval? It was uh, an episode about the Hitler Youth. One of the bits we did in there, we talked about um, an old research article about you know how to train kids out of whining, and they mention in there ignoring bad behavior. So this is we've seen this before. The idea that you you ignore the bad or you just don't reward the bad and you only reward the good. And the gist of that is the whining, if you don't ignore it, the whining will continue because whining works. They're getting negative enforcement, which they're t- they'll take anything. They'll take what they can get, though. But it always gets some kind of acknowledgement. And that's what she said about her husband. So one of the common things is he loses a lot of things. So he loses his keys, loses his wallets. Then comes this temper tantrum of him slamming, swearing, running, slamming doors in the house, which we've all done, right? And she used to hop off the couch and say, honey, let me help you, you know, like a good supportive. But she realized that was just making it a lot worse. Okay. So she just ignored it, let him work it out. And these little things like that, it doesn't seem like a big thing. This is what it cracked me up. This is the baboon feeding here. Use food rewards. <laughs> <laughs> so if your husband does something good, you give him a fucking cookie. <laughs> okay. Right? Uh, it's like, yeah, it's like the circus treat bag, the little bag that the trainers have on their belt. That's crazy. And husbands are famous for wanting to make their wives happy. So she uses us against them. So she uses that men just want to keep peace. <laughs> they want peace and quiet. So she knows that. So she uses that. Saying that something might be morally wrong, but probably works as far as training husbands. I'm okay with that because the Sutherland article is actually quite funny. And I, I get the feeling that it's tongue in cheek. But there are uh, scary corners of the internet where guys write about training their wives and it gave me flashes of the handmaid's tale like it sounds when guys start writing about training their wives or fixing their wives intentionally without letting them know what's happening it starts getting freaky like it it gets dark fast control freaks which we are going to do an episode on soon a couple of books that came out were training your wife to be submissive that's a and real title. That's a real title. It's got, it's probably got as many reviews as people have read the book. It, it, and then there's another one by a so-called Christian writer, A Guide to Training Your Wife. And I'm sure probably in the 50s and 60s, this was probably a yeah. wedding gift you'd get from somebody. Not as a gag gift, but for as a, you need to read this. This is great. It feels like that could have only been written in like, almost like pilgrim era america like it doesn't even feel like 50s it it feels like 50s it also feels like yeah it, it feels so weird to see that on amazon like a real title on a real amazon page 
I guarantee it's not at our hometown bookstore of Powell's <laughs> because the Portlanders who catch wind of this and burn the whole store down if they knew there was a book called Training Your Wife and How to Make Your Wife the Perfect Submissive. That is, if you want to be beaten to death by Birkenstocks and handbags, we should go into Powell's and ask for those books and then we'll be in the obituaries the next day. The title of the article will be Justified Death at Powell's Today. You were talking about, if you don't mind me, um, slinging your own vulnerabilities back at you. <laughs> you were talking about how um, exes have tried to change you. Do you feel like they were successful? I feel like I just got older. Okay. So some of those things went away. Some of those things, they were sharp blade, sword, you know, the way, the behaviors. And now they're a little bit duller, but they're still there. Okay, so they may not have quote-unquote changed, like you didn't remold the shape. It's just you're, you've, you've sanded the edges off your, your sharp bits. Um, so we, we mentioned uh, Gottman earlier. Um, I referenced his site. We're going to have links to his stuff. Um, but... Dr. Gottman wrote that 69% of relationship issues consist of unsolvable problems. So those sharp edges you're talking about, that is 69% of issues that a relationship will sort of bring up. Um, those can include tiny things about, you know, rubbing your partner the wrong way, nitpicking, as you mentioned, um, you know, bringing up complaints uh, right away when something bad happens. Um but there are sort of ways to change people. Um, uh, one of the strangest articles I found, which was very, very interesting, um, it talks about men ironically change themselves after the first divorce. Uh, I've heard people... Okay, so I used to work in a law office, and I've heard people, um, the, the ladies working there, would refer to the second wife... Or, or sorry, the um, the the second marriage syndrome where guys would be a better fit after they had already been married once. And I wonder if that is, I know that's the case with me, but again, I, I don't know if that is because of that train wreck of a of divorce and the pain and suffering from that. That could be part of it, but I think some of it's just getting older. I think a lot of it is getting older and maturing. Um, but there's also, uh, I'm going to reference a psychology day article again. Uh, it's called, they, they call this the walk away wife syndrome. And it's exactly what you were describing where your wife would go to the divorce lawyer every month and be like, let's start the papers. I want this to, it's almost like she was using that as a taser at the, at the circus to get you into a behavior. Um, yeah, they, they call this the walk away wife syndrome. And the idea is that, a first wife will want to correct your behavior and will start leaving a relationship. And while she is planning her exit strategy, the guy panics. Like they, they go from, I'm making changes, damn it, you know, like get off my back to, oh my God, I actually need to change these things right now. And these guys, according to this article, will make lasting positive changes but it's too late. By the time they actually make those changes, um, the the wife has walked away. 
it may sound like we're being sexist by singling out men, but this article was very specific in calling out that usually it's it's guys that run into this that that will rush their change and it won't take effect. It won't be lasting until their second marriage. Um, so let's talk about what happens if you want to change yourself without getting divorced first. Because that's, that's hopefully what we end up with, right? Like we want to know if you can change somebody, you know, we, how would you? How, how would you do it morally? How would you do it openly? How would you communicate it from the start? Well, you're talking about the John Gottman, the PhD, the 70% of... Uh, 69% of relationships consist of unsolvable problems. Right. Do those fester and and then become hate? And is that why our divorce rate is so high? I mean, is that... Yeah. Are um, they doomed from day one, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. Half of all marriages end in divorce. Well, it would make an awful lot of sense if those divorces were based on 70% of of issues being unsolvable. Um, you're, you, everybody who wants to change a partner must get into a relationship and feel like you're a brick wall. Like they're like, I thought I could change you, but so much of these things won't budge ever. Um, and I think it is because of these, I I think it's because, you know, 70% of issues, uh, are unsolvable. Um, now something he says, uh, is you have to start with open communication, if you're trying to change somebody without them knowing it, it's abusive. Like that's, we haven't said that directly in this podcast yet, but if you set out to change someone and you never actually tell them you're trying to change them, that's abuse. That's not just a manipulation. We, we joked about that. That is straight up abuse. So if the person that you live with and sleep with, <laughs> you're yeah. suspicious and paranoid, they may be trying to do this to you. <laughs> there might be a reason you feel that way. Right. And also keep in mind, um, if you are trying to change somebody without their knowledge, it will go slower and it will be far less effective if they don't know what's happening. If you don't get them to go along with it. Um, we, we joke this whole episode about training men like they're baboons or circus animals. But if you tell the person, you know, I want to work on this, uh, I, you know, I, it would sure help me a lot if you picked up your dirty laundry well then they will at least be conscious of it when you're rewarding them you show them the treats you have for them that you're going to keep in your pocket right (laughs) to reward shake the baggie (laughs) show them the cookies um now there are steps that the uh gottman institute has here um first they say check in with yourself get to know yourself and take a look into your attitudes and beliefs and expectations your triggers And you really have to ask yourself if their behavior triggers you or concerns you or if they challenge your beliefs, can you stay with that person if they never improve? That should be pretty much day one, I'm thinking. When you go up and saddle up to the bar and Todd is there in a leather jacket and he's got a (laughs) baseball bat with blood on it, can you ask yourself, uh, what if Todd never changes? Can we stay with him? Same with me, except you're going to find me curled in a corner writing spirals on the wall. Uh, I, I will look like a, a, a scene where somebody has gone mad. You'll find me red yarn on a cork board plotting things out. And you have to ask yourself, can I live with that forever? And let's face it, things are less cute a few years later. That's absolutely true. <laughs> um, 
Now, if you've answered that question, you know, can I stay with this person if they never change? Then consider your values. If you and your spouse have entirely different values, the relationship might be in trouble. That kind of seems like a no-duh, but I can't tell you how many people I've seen where, like, the couples are like, I'm a Republican and they're a Democrat. Or, you know, I've seen this so often. Have you ever met a couple where, like, um, the wife is really into God and going to church and the husband just doesn't care? Like, they, they... Maybe pay lip service. Dead there. Yeah. Wouldn't even go there just to please her for her at all. Right. How did that happen? Yeah. How did you guys get together? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's there's nothing wrong with a friendly debate. Like you can have a discussion and agree to let each other have each other's, you know, their own beliefs. But on the really important things, like how to raise children and how to save money. If you can't change those and the other person doesn't want to, you know, grow, then that is not just a deal breaker. That's that's just something you're not going to get them to budge on sometimes. And that's a challenge when you are single and you are looking for someone and it has been a while and you are lonely. You start to focus more and put more priorities on the things you like about them at first. Right. There's There's also something to be said about... If they are willing to change, be patient and understanding. Don't hold a gun to the relationship anytime they, you know, uh, get upset or slow or they don't make change quickly enough. Or fail. They stumble backwards. Yeah. Let let people fail if you are in a relationship. That is tough. Especially, okay, tell me if this is true. I find that when people are asking for change, it's already too much. Like they're already fed up. If if they weren't asking for it, it wouldn't have already like abraded them down to the nerves. Yeah, and if you've ignored it to that point and not tried to fix it on your own, you're probably beyond right. the doghouse yeah. on your way out of the house. So while we say that everyone should feel love and respected and heard and cared for, all the things we deserve from partners, We also recognize that, you know, you can be facing issues and trying to change something that has already taken its toll on you. So just please keep in mind that um, when you start asking for change, it is really better to do it early while you still have the patience to be uh, caring and to hear the partner and to be respectful and to let them know that you want them to change. So start early. Don't don't do this when you are already fed up. You know, um, what's the the phrase in psychology? Secure your lifeline long before you start falling. <laughs> you you want to put those safety measures into place before you need a safety rope to catch you. Do you think that is boundaries? And you know, I hate that saying, but I say it all the time. We train people how to treat us. We show them what they can. You know, where we can push and shove with somebody, where they can't. I think so. I actually, I have a theory of mine, not not that is backed up by all this um, relationship stuff we've been looking up. Um, I have a theory that when we kind of react with um, immediate correction, like if, if, you know, you put your dirty clothes on the floor and I immediately snap at you and act overbearing about it, I'm like, put that in the hamper. Or if, if I react with humor 
but it's mean and sarcastic humor. I think we're trying to tell people that's a hard boundary of mine. That's a, it's, I think it's an overreaction to show them that we have a boundary and that we can't be pushed there. Um, okay. So just briefly getting back to the treats, is there a treat that works for you? Like, is there actually something that will make you change if we give you a reward? Attention works every Attention. time. <laughs> you? Uh, definitely attention. Conversation. It's um, hooking me into a conversation about hypotheticals, um, fiction, uh, movies. It, it is. It is definitely just getting attention and and talking. Um, in in these articles, they talk about what rewards work. Um, you know, obviously they say drinking, flirting, sex, uh, things like that. I'm starting to, okay, this is another sort of pet theory of mine, but, um, it's kind of backed up by what we've read. I think that possibly if you want to fix somebody, what you're really doing is shifting, uh, their joy. Like you mentioned that you had an ex who wanted you to stop drinking. Did that ever take not with her okay after yes okay did you end up finding joy in something else so did you replace that behavior with something else i did exercising sadly which is not as much fun (laughs) (laughs) i think for guys that find their joy by going out to a bar and hanging out with friends and staying out all night and having you know drink after drink or guys that do selfish things like me. I, I stay in um, working on stuff, just tinkering with things to the point where I ignore uh, other people and their problems. I think to ask someone to change really means getting them to shift where they find joy, especially if you're dating a flirt. Like if you're dating somebody and they are a shameless flirt and they like sort of like pursuing other people you're really asking them to eventually find joy in being uh, a a family person in in being closed off and uh, possibly monogamous. If that's a relationship you're working on, it doesn't have to be, but I I think ultimately what we're doing when we change somebody is saying, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll correct negative behaviors like picking up clothes. But if we correct a positive behavior, we have to shift where that person is finding happiness. That's to replace it with something. Right. Going into a relationship with the intent to fix your partner is a pretty rotten way to begin things. You may want to fix them for the better. Or you may want to fix them so they suit you better. Either way, you're buying a project that will never be finished. Morality aside, even if your partner agrees to change for you, there's no change in idiosyncrasies. The way we behave, the subconscious way we move through the world, that's cemented into us long before adulthood. You may be able to throw treats at your husband until he remembers to pick up his underwear. But on a whole, if your man is messy, he'll end up with messes somewhere. And these idiosyncrasies get 20 times worse when they're not messes, when they involve drinking, children, or tempers. 
Ultimately, if you want to fix someone, you have to communicate it. Practically from the first sentence you speak to them, you have to be open, patient, and considerate of others' values. If you're trying to change where your partner finds their joy, you have to be willing to offer alternatives. And even if you succeed in fixing your spouse, you have to be careful what you end up with. You or your partner could resent the person they've become. If all that sounds like too much work, instead of fixing someone, you could do what the rest of us do. Use a dating algorithm to match with someone who picks up their underwear from day one. You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredyou.com. That's where you can find our research links, our show notes, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We also appreciate feedback, and we like spirited debates. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. Mm-hmm.